Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. Well, we're in a series here at the Met on Sunday mornings about financial freedom. Financial freedom. Some people would tell you that the phrase financial freedom is an oxymoron, right? It's one of those phrases where the two words don't really go together, financial and freedom. In fact, if you asked a lot of people, what word would you associate with the word financial? If you said, uh, you know, what, what fill in the blank, financial what? They, they might say, well, financial pressure or financial debt or financial bondage. A lot of people wouldn't say financial freedom. But that's really what we're talking about here on Sunday mornings, financial freedom. But the twist is that we're talking about financial freedom Jesus' way. See, we're looking at what Jesus had to say about the matter. Jesus spoke a lot about our finances, and we're focusing in on his words and how he points us towards freedom in the area of finances. Now, if you've been with us a couple weeks ago, you might remember we started off by talking about freedom from depreciation, the idea of uh, freedom from having your investments wither and diminish, but how to make investments that keep their value forever. Talked about that. Jesus did. And then last week, if you were with us, you might remember we talked about freedom from worry, how not to let this area of your life just kind of cloud and crush you, freedom from worry. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about freedom to be blessed. What Jesus had to say about freedom to be blessed. I would think that that would have some appeal to a lot of us here. I mean, who doesn't want to know the blessing of God on their lives? Who wouldn't like to be able to associate the word financial with the word blessing? Well, Jesus actually tells us exactly the pathway to get there, how to get there, how to do that. And this morning, we're going to hear his words And then think of how his words play out in our lives. And to do that, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and join me today in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20, and our focus verse will be verse 35. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Again, if you need a Bible, we have some blue Bibles here and available in the 1050 service as well. The blue Bibles, it's page 788, 788 in the blue Bibles. Today, I want you to see one of, the, uh, one of these amazing statements that Jesus made about financial freedom, but here it's about the freedom to be blessed. Let me pray for us, and then uh, let's look at what I think is a fascinating statement of Christ, see how it applies to us. Father, this morning, uh, we, we would say in many, many ways, we already feel your blessing. You make the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. You're just so good to our world, and You send the seasons one after another. Lord, you keep our hearts beating and our lungs breathing. You bless us in so many ways. And today, as we listen to what Jesus had to say, even about freedom to be blessed, I ask, Lord, by your Spirit, that you would allow this to sparkle and live in our thinking and our living. We'd like to know your blessing even more. And I ask this now in Christ's name. Amen. 
Let me pick up reading for you. Uh, I'm going to pick it up in verse 33 of Acts 20. This is a, a speech, an address that Paul gave to a group of elders who were from the city of Ephesus. So he's talking to them, and he's kind of coming to the end of his talk, giving them some charge and some challenge and some encouragement. And as he wraps it up, Paul talks about himself a little bit. And look what he says in verse 33 of Acts 20. Paul says this, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything that I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. The words the Lord Jesus himself said, here they are, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There it is. There's Jesus talking about how you can be blessed, how to have God's blessing. In fact, he says how to be more blessed. He says it's more blessed to give than receive. In those words, Jesus is saying this, that if you want God's blessing on your life, the way to get it is through giving, right? It's more blessed to give than receive. Jesus is saying that God has designed the world so that giving leads to receiving. That if you want it, the blessing of his on your life, it comes as you give to other people. You could put it this way. Jesus is saying here, and this is the principle that we're going to build things on today. It's more blessed to give than receive because you receive more than you give. Okay, that's kind of the logic that Jesus is going to say. It's more blessed to give than receive. Why? Because you receive. You always receive more than you give. God has structured the world so that when you give, you receive, he says. In fact, it's more blessed to give than receive because, well, you receive more than you give. Now, most of us here have experienced the truth of that. Like a lot of us have already, we, we've been through situations where we'd say, yeah, you know, I, I, I've experienced what Jesus said there. For example, think of the time that you gave an amazing gift to someone you loved. Maybe it was a Christmas gift for them. Maybe it was a birthday gift. Maybe it was just a surprise gift. But I want you to think about a time when you gave kind of an over-the-top gift to someone that you loved. Now, they probably didn't expect it. You know, they would have told you, oh, that, that's like out of reach. I don't think anyone would ever give me that. But you knew that they wanted it. So what did you do? You saved and you stretched and then you splurged and you got it for them. Now, let me ask you, do you remember the moment that they opened up the gift? Do you remember, do you remember the anticipation that you felt as it was getting closer? And, and when they opened it up, do you remember their response? Like maybe they... Uh, Maybe their jaw dropped, or maybe tears welled up in their eyes, or maybe they shrieked, or maybe they just were stunned and they were silent. But let me ask you this. Do you remember how you felt when they opened that gift? Do you remember that? The joy that washed over your soul? You were experiencing what Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive, right? I mean, we, we, we've gone through that. A lot of us know what that's about. In fact, last Sunday, our church had a chance to do that collectively. If you were here last Sunday, you know that we took a special compassion offering for uh, two different needs. One need was a, a group, a ministry in our town called the First Place, Crisis, uh, First Place Pregnancy Center. And they help women who are going through a traumatic pregnancy. And so we said we, they have some financial needs. We'd like to try to help them 
as a church family. And then there was the Aranitas family. Remember them? Their mom and dad uh, were killed in a plane crash, leaving five children behind there in Guatemala. And so we asked you, we said, would you kind of join us? And let's, let's see what we can do for these folks. Well, I don't know if you read in the bulletin what happened. Uh, both uh, those groups, I think one, uh, they would have been happy if $1,000 or $1,500 or $2,500 came in. $40,000 came in for those two groups. I mean, the, they, the people that, that received this were just blown away. $40,000, what a generous gift. Now, here's the cool thing. Everyone I've talked to this week that's heard about that from our church has just been filled with joy. It's like everyone I've talked to said, really? Oh, that not that great? Why is that? Because we're experiencing what Jesus said, that it really is more blessed to give than receive because you receive more than you give. That's what Jesus said. Now, here's an interesting uh, side note about this verse that Acts 20, 35, Paul, the apostle Paul quotes Jesus saying it's more blessed to give than receive. But here's a curious thing. Do you know that those words of Jesus do not show up in the Gospels. Like if you try to find, well, where did Jesus say that? And you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you won't find that exact statement. This is one of the sayings of Jesus that's known as the agrapha or the agrapha, which means not written. You see, Jesus said a lot of things. In fact, John the apostle in John 21, 25, John said, if everything that Jesus did, if everything that he said and did, was written down, John said, I suppose all the books in the world couldn't contain it. So Jesus said many things that weren't recorded for us in the gospel, but some of them were remembered and passed down orally. And Paul takes one of those sayings of Jesus and says, remember the words of our Lord Jesus, who himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now here's the thing. Even though we, when we go through the gospels, we do not find that exact saying of Jesus do you know we find a lot of sayings of Jesus that are very similar? A lot of things where Jesus underscores and emphasizes and even expands on this idea. Let me show you two places in the gospel where Jesus gives this same message that it's more blessed to give and receive, but Jesus takes it a little further. Keep your place here, if you would, in Acts 20. And would you go back to the book of Luke? You'll turn back a few pages, you'll hit the gospel of John. And then you go back a little further, you'll hit the gospel of Luke. Look with me, uh, Luke with me at Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Luke 6, 38. Would you take a peek at that one? Listen to what Jesus said, okay? Now, these are his words recorded for us by Luke the physician who wrote this gospel. Luke 6, 38 says this. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. See there, Jesus is saying really the same thing. It's more blessed to give than receive because you receive more than you give. Now, if you were with us last week, you might remember Matthew 6.33, Jesus promised to meet our needs. Remember, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. The things mean what you need to eat, what you need to drink, what you need to wear. Like he will meet your needs. Here, Jesus is saying that he will exceed your needs, right? Because he says, give and it will be given to you, but this time it'll be pressed down, shaken together and running over. Like he will give abundantly more than you give. Maybe I can picture it this way. I want you to imagine that uh, a neighbor comes knocking on your door 
and they say, um, you know what, I, it's late and the stores are closed and I'm, I'm baking and I'm wondering, would you have like a cup of brown sugar that I could just get from you? So you say, yeah, you know what, I got some of that stuff. So you get the golden brown sugar and you, you kind of, they said they just wanted a cup, but you kind of just pour in a little bit more and it actually goes above the cup line and you give it back to them. And you think nothing of it, right? Well, a day or two later, that same neighbor comes back, knocks on your door, and they said, I wanted to thank you for helping me out with the brown sugar stuff, and I just want to return it. But what they've done is they've taken brown sugar and not just poured it in there, they have packed it down. You know how brown sugar kind of smashes down? Well, they've packed it down, they've shaken it up, and instead of just kind of having it halfway up, man, they have it to the top. It is spilling over the top, and they say, thank you so much for giving it to me. Well, they use the same measuring cup, but they have packed it down, shaken it together, and filled it up to the top. And Jesus says, that's the way God is. He says, given it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. See, it's more blessed to give than receive because you receive more than you give. You receive abundantly more than you give. Well, Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, there's a second passage where he takes it even further. Let me show you this one. Go back to the previous book before Luke and you'll hit Mark and look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, look at verses 28 to 30. Mark chapter 10, picking up in verse 28. This is an account, this comes right on the tail end of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. Remember that guy? Jesus told him, well, sell what you have, follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the rich young ruler says, I, I can't do that. So he walks away sad. But after he leaves, the disciples are standing there. And look what they say. Verse 28 of Mark 10. Peter said to him, to Jesus, well, we have left everything to follow you. And look what Jesus says back. Verse 29. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Wow, there Jesus is saying this. It's more blessed to give than receive because you receive more than you give, and you'll not just receive abundantly more than you give. That was Luke 6.38. He's saying you will receive exponentially more than you give. Did you notice verse 30, how many times he said? How many times more would he said you get back? Did you see that? He said a hundred times more. That would be kind of like, you remember the neighbor that came for the brown sugar? That would be like if the neighbor came and said, could I get a cup of brown sugar? And you kind of pour the cup in there and they take it away. And then instead of the next day or so coming back with it pressed down, the next day or two, Man, the neighbor comes back, and they're just bringing the bags of brown sugar, right? Like exponentially more than you gave them. They're saying, thank you so much for loaning me the brown sugar, and I just wanted to say thank you. Jesus is saying, that's, that's the way God is. Like you give him your little cup full, but he says you'll receive a hundred times more. Now, let me ask you. Do you think in this verse, Jesus is teaching what today is called prosperity theology? I don't know if you're familiar with the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel says this, God wants his children 
since they're children of the king, he wants them to live like king's kids and he wants them to be healthy and wealthy. That God wants you to be financially well-to-do. And that if you give, he will make sure that you prosper financially. That's kind of what's called today the prosperity gospel or prosperity theology. Is Jesus teaching that here? And I would say to you, no, he's not. And the reason is, if you look closely, there are two things that lead me to say he's not teaching what today is called prosperity theology. Here's the two things. Look in verse 30. One thing is this. Jesus says that what you will get back a hundredfold includes a hundredfold persecutions. Did you see that in verse 30? When he's listing the things you get back, right at the end of verse 30, he says, and with them, persecutions. Now, in all the prosperity teaching that I've heard, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, give to the Lord and get what? He will let you be persecuted a hundred times more than you ever thought. And that's usually not a part of the health and wealth stuff. So that'd be one reason. But there's a, there's a bigger reason why I don't think Jesus is teaching what's called prosperity theology, why I do not think that's biblical. Here's the reason. When Jesus says you'll get back a hundredfold, his focus is not on the financial as much as it is on the relational and the spiritual. In other words, what you get back a hundred times is in the category of the relational and the spiritual. Let me show you. Look at, he says you'll get back a hundred times relationally. Look again at verse 30. No one who leaves, you know, father, mother, house, for me, verse 30, will fail to receive a hundred times as much, as much of what? Look at what he says. In this age, you'll receive a hundred times homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and field. Jesus is saying this. If you give to me, if you become a follower of me, it will cost you. That's what Peter said. He said, Lord, we left everything for you. It disrupted us from our families at times. We were uprooted from our homes. And Jesus says, you know what? You, you will get back more than you've given. In fact, you'll get a hundred times more brothers and sisters and fathers and children. What's he saying? He's saying, when you come to follow me, you become part of my family. And in my family, you get all these brothers and sisters in Christ. And you'll get people who are older than you in Christ. They'll be like parents to you. And there'll be children who you'll be able to love and, and care for. And it's like God expands your relational riches hundred times. Now, I have to tell you that my family has literally experienced this. We moved from California here 11 years ago, or as I like to say, 12 winters ago, we moved here from uh, California. And, and you know, one of the hardest things about leaving, probably for me, the hardest thing was just uprooting from, you know, our, our little place and, and our families and my brothers or my sisters and Linda's family, brothers and sisters. And that gets harder, to be honest. There are days our parents are getting older, and there are days when it tears at my heart that I'm so far away. But I would tell you this, that Jesus' words literally have been true, and that we have received a hundred times brothers and sisters and parents and children. We've been put into a family of faith where we have people that open their homes to us. It says you'll get a hundred times more homes. And it's like, yeah, people have welcomed us into their hearts and into their homes and Jesus is saying, you will be relationally richer when you give in my way. Don't worry, I'll, I'll make it good to you. And I would say, Jesus, you, you have done that. You are making that good. So the blessings that he gives are relational. But then if you go back, he also said the blessing that he gives are not just relational, they're spiritual blessings. hundred times spiritual. 
Look at the end of verse 30. You'll see it. Mark 10, 30. He says, you'll receive all these things, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, field, and with them persecution, and here it is, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying, I will enrich you not only relationally, but spiritually. Why, you will have not just life on earth, you will have eternal life. In the age to come, you'll enjoy life eternal. You see, those who trust in Jesus, and faith in Jesus is not just a head thing, right? Faith in Jesus is a heart thing that shows up in the way I live. Someone with genuine faith is going to follow him. And following him means following his teaching, even about giving and sharing. And so when someone does that, when they really bank on Jesus, when they're going his way, he said, don't worry, you'll get back a hundred times whatever you give. In fact, in the age to come, you'll enjoy eternal life. And eternal life in Jesus' thinking is not just life that goes on forever. Eternal life is life that goes on forever in closeness to God. John 17, 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is a richness of relationship with God. So when Jesus says you're going to get back a hundredfold, exponentially more, his focus is not so much on the financial, it's on the relational, and it's on the spiritual. And wouldn't you agree that the best blessings in life are relational and spiritual? I mean, financial blessings, those are, that's a gift from God. It's a kindness of God, but it can also sabotage us. Money uh, you know, can kind of take us down if we're not careful. And besides that, I know a lot of wealthy people who are not necessarily happy people. But if you meet someone who is relationally rich, who feels that God has allowed people into their life who are like brothers and sisters and fathers and children, and if you meet people who are spiritually rich, they know that they are close to God now and forever. Tell you what, you find people who feel exponentially blessed. So Jesus is saying, here's the principle. It's more blessed to give than receive because you always receive more than you give. Now, you may hear all of that and go, I I believe that's true. But I have a hard time living that out. I mean, I would like to live that way, but it is not easy to live with that kind of mindset. I mean, for one thing, for one thing, It seems that life is expensive. And when it comes to giving things away, I hardly have enough to make it by myself. Maybe you're thinking, look, I got a mortgage or I got rent payments. I have car insurance. I have food costs every week. I've got kids that need orthodontics. I've got tuition payments coming up. There's a renovation on the house we really have to do. And I would like to have that kind of a lifestyle that Jesus says is blessing, but I don't know how you do that. How do you do that? How do you live that kind of lifestyle so that you enjoy the blessing of God more? Well, let's let's close up our time by looking at a guy who did it, a guy who got it, a guy who understood it and lived it out. And I'm talking about the man who quoted Jesus, talking about the Apostle Paul. Let's finish up back in Acts chapter 20. Go back to Acts 20 and let's look at Paul's life because he's the guy who's remembering the words of Jesus that is more blessed to give than receive. Let's look at Paul's life, and let me show you three things that Paul did. Three things that he did to live this kind of life. And I'm going to throw out to you, if you and I are wise, we're going to try to emulate what Paul did, because Paul knew how to live this out. So let me show you three things he did that we can do when it comes to living this kind of lifestyle. First one shows up in verse 33. Look at what it says. Paul says this. 
I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Okay, hey, there's something you're going to want to know. If you and I want to live this kind of lifestyle that is more blessed, here's the first thing we're going to have to do. You'll have to do it. I'll have to do it. I'd put it this way. Guard your heart against coveting. Like you'll never get going down the trail of living a blessed life if you let covetousness live in your heart. If you've got a covetous heart, you'll never be a cheerful giver. It just, it, it will stop you. You'll, it'll be a non-starter for you. Covetousness will just kill any attempt to live this kind of a lifestyle. So Paul says to these folks, hey, I just want you to, to know, you've lived with me. He's lived with these folks for, for years, for years. He says, I want you to know, I never coveted your gold or your silver or your nice clothes. See, Paul traveled kind of light. He was a missionary. He didn't have a lot of stuff. He was an itinerant, and Paul lived among people who were more financially stable than he was, but Paul says to them, you know what, I just want to, before God is my witness, I was not coveting the fact that you had more gold than I did, or you had more silver than I did, or you had more, you had higher end clothing than I did. Paul said he guarded his heart against coveting. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. In another place in the Bible, Paul says he struggled with coveting. Did you know that? That was an area, that was some of his luggage that he had to lose. Uh, Let me read for you from Romans chapter 7 and verse 8. Paul says he struggled with covetousness. It's interesting. Romans 7 verse 8 says this. Paul says, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. So Paul is humble enough and vulnerable enough to say, Hey, I got to tell you, covetousness of every kind was going on in my life. That's some of the baggage I brought into uh, my new life in Christ. I had some covetousness going. I envied things. I was greedy for what others might have that I didn't have. But Paul guarded his heart. In fact, do you remember we did a series called Losing Your Luggage? This would have been some of the luggage that Paul had to learn to lose. We went through Romans 8, and Romans 8 says, if, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Covetousness must have been one of those misdeeds of the body that Paul kept relentlessly and ruthlessly handing over to God, to his Spirit, saying, Lord, would you put this to death? I do not want to live with covetousness in my heart. And if you and I want to be blessed, we're going to have to deal with kind of the strands of covetousness in our heart. It's really easy to get it in there, especially in a consumer culture like ours that is constantly telling you, you know, your life would be better if you just had this widget. Ah, if you could only get this. And that can kind of creep up. And when you live around people who might have more gold, silver, or nice clothing than you do, I mean, it's really easy to covet that. In fact, next Sunday, we're going to talk about freedom from affluenza. We're going to talk about how to get free from the infection of covetousness. So we'll take a whole morning and talk about that. But for right now, can I just say that If you and I want to live this lifestyle, we're going to have to say, Lord, it's going to start in my heart. And I'm going to need your help to guard my heart against covetousness. I know it can root itself in there. It's easy for me to fall prey. I'm handing it over to you. As often as it comes, I'm handing it over. Lord, put it to death. I do not want this. So that's the first thing Paul did. How about a second thing he did? Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34 as we go on. He says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs. Oh, there's a second thing that we can take. Not only guard your heart against covetousness, but second, use your hand 
to provide, use your hands to provide for yourself. Use your hands, work hard to provide for yourself. Can you almost see Paul gesturing? He says, you yourself know that these hands have provided for my own needs. These hands. Paul's like showing, he's like, you remember, man, I worked with my hands. I was a hard worker. Paul, by trade, was a tent maker. He worked in leather. So he had a business that was a bit portable. And so as he went to different cities, he'd kind of set up shop and he could work with his hands. And he said, I provided for my own needs. In fact, he even says he worked hard. Look at verse 35. He says, in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work. This kind of hard work. If you and I are ever going to be generous people, we're also going to have to be hardworking people. Because it's as we provide for ourselves that we're not just always in a position of taking from others. You know, Paul was really big on Christians working hard. Did you know that? He was like really big. In fact, listen to this. I'll read from you 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 10. Listen to what Paul said. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 10. Paul says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle, and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, neither will he eat. So among the Christian community, Paul says, look, we are not supposed to be people that just freeload off others. We gave you this rule, if a man doesn't work, he will not eat. Now, please hear this. There are times when a man or a woman cannot work. Could be illness, could be age. Could be the job market is dried up in their field. There are times when we will be in hard places. But Paul says our heart should be, you know what? As God helps me, I'm willing to work hard to provide for myself. Provide for my own needs. Well, you say, well, how, how do you know if you're supposed to work hard? How do you know how much work is enough? Because some of us will hear this and go, well, then I'm going to work like all the time, right? I'll just let my work consume me because the Bible said work hard. No, I'd say there's even in this verse, verse 35, there's even a, or verse 34 and 35, there's there's a hint that Paul gives us to limit the fact that we don't want work to overwhelm everything else. Let me show you. Look Look at the text again. Look at verse 34. Do you see the word supplied? So you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs. Supplied. Do you see that word supplied? The Greek word there is sometimes translated ministered. It's a word that Paul often uses when he talks about serving the Lord. I think what he's saying is this. I looked at my work, my hard work with my hands as part of serving the Lord. It was part of my ministry to God. And when you make your vocation part of your service of God, then he gets to control how much you work and when you work. And you submit to him and say, Lord, you're the Lord of my work. I will work hard but I'm seeing it as part of my service to you. So I can't let this part of my life dominate every other part of my life. You're going to have to show me, Lord, how much is enough. When do I pull back? When do I push in? But Paul did say, as God helped me, I use my hands to provide for myself. So there's a second thing. First, guard your heart against covetousness. Second, use your hands to provide for yourself. Here's the third one. 
open your hands to give to others. Yeah, after you use your hands to provide for yourself, then open your hands to give to others. That comes out in verses 34 and 35. Look at it. Verse 34. Paul says, you yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs, but he doesn't stop there. He says, and the needs of my companions. In every way, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Paul says, I helped two groups of people. I didn't just supply for my own needs. I helped two other groups of people. I helped, first of all, verse 34, my companions. See that? My, my hands helped supply for my companions. Who were his companions? Well, they were kind of like Paul and Silas and Timothy, all the, the little constellation of team. They were like his family. So one of the groups that you provide for beyond yourself is those closest to you, your companions, your family. You give to them. But Paul also says in verse 35, there's another group that I, I gave to. Did you see it? Verse 35, in everything we did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. The weak. So Paul says, I opened my hands and I gave to the weak. Who are the weak? Well, the Greek word literally just means anyone who's weak could be physically weak, people who are sick, could be emotionally weak, people who are kind of shut down and unable to go forward because of Maybe an emotional time of difficulty could be spiritually weak. It's used sometimes for spiritual weakness, people who are lost. Paul says, I gave some of what I had to help the weak. So if you and I want to be living a life that is blessed by God, we, well, we got to guard our hearts from covetousness, right? And then use our hands to provide for ourselves and then open our hands to give to others, to our companions, those close, and to the weak. Now you say to me, okay, Pastor Rick, I'm with you so far, but here's my question. How much do I give to those other groups if I want God's blessing? What should I give? How much does God want me to give away as he's kind of saying is more blessed to give than receive? Now, if you ask the Apostle Paul that, how much should you give, Paul? I think he would say, well, as a good Jewish boy, I was raised that you always gave at least one-tenth, right? The, the law of Moses, Paul was raised under that, said you give at least a tenth of what you make to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says that. Listen to this. Leviticus 27, verse 30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Verse 32, The entire tithe of the herd and the flock, one-tenth of every animal that passes under the shepherd rod, will be holy to the Lord. So Paul said, well, as a Jewish believer, I knew I had to give at least one-tenth. But then I think Paul would say, but now I'm a Christian follower. And I think he would tell you that as a Christian, he was under the new covenant. And the blessings of the new covenant superseded the blessings of the old covenant, right? And the responsibilities of the new covenant were higher than the under the old covenant. So I think Paul would say, I can't imagine giving less under the new covenant than I gave under the old covenant. I can't imagine doing less than a tenth. But I think Paul would actually go a little different. If you said, well, Paul, how much do I have to give away? I think Paul would say, well, I think you might be asking a little bit of the wrong question. The real question is, how much do you want to be blessed, right? Because it's more blessed to give than receive. I don't think Paul was saying, what's the minimum amount that I have to part with? Like, what, how much of this is going to be pried loose from my hands? He would say, no, I, I really believe Jesus that it's more blessed to give than receive. 
And so, yeah, the 10th under the law, that was like the floor for my giving, but it's not the ceiling. I can do more than that. Paul doesn't really peg an amount. He gives an attitude. He's saying, if you and I really, if we believe Jesus that it's more blessed to give than receive, then giving is not just a duty. It's, it's more of a delight because you always receive back more than you give. By the way, if you and I want to be that kind of people and we want to raise that kind of kids, I think it starts with teaching our kids this when they're really little. When I was real little, my folks began to teach me this idea that it's more blessed to give than receive and that you give to the Lord first. So I remember as a kid, we got an allowance. And I, for a while, I, I got a dime every week, 10 cents every week. And right off the bat, they, they didn't give me a dime. They gave me 10 pennies so that I could take at least one of those pennies to Sunday school with me and, and plop it in the little bank that went across. And it was our little giving in Sunday school. What were they doing? My folks were trying to teach me, hey, you know what? It's more blessed to give than receive, and we give to the Lord first. So when I began to get my little jobs as a kid and then in a high schooler, it was kind of already built into me that it's a blessing to give to the Lord, and you give to him first, and yeah, at least a tenth. So I would kind of do that, and then as I started making more money, and then you started thinking, wow, this is a lot of money to give away. It was so much a part of my heart that, well, I've already learned, you know, that it's more blessed to give than receive, so why would I not do this? And I can just stand before you as God is my witness and say, he has given far more than I have ever given. Like I have received far more than I've ever given to him. And I know many of you would be able to say, say that's my story too. You know, I, I would just say he's been way better to me than I've been to others. But we've got to believe him. We have to say, Lord, will I really believe you? So i got a challenge for you for the summer. Some of you, man, you've known this for years. And I just want to say to you, as judged by that offering last week, some of you are already just saying, Lord, I want my treasures in heaven and I'm going to give to you because I know I can never outgive you. Some of you are just doing that. And I say to you, God knows that and he loves that and feel blessed with that. May he bless you and may you sense the relational and spiritual blessings. But then some of you here, maybe some of you here today are saying, I've never really gotten into this. I've never really tested the Lord on this. So here's my challenge for you. How about for the summer, June, July, and August, you say, Lord, I, I'm going to try to live this out as you help me. You know all my financial realities, but you're coming first. And I'm going to you know, take maybe a tenth, and I'm just going to say, Lord, if you help me, I'm putting that for you and for those in need. I will seek to be a generous person, and I'm really banking on you that you said it's more blessed to give than receive. And then at the end of the summer, why don't you just take stock and say, do you think that the Lord was faithful to his word? So that's my challenge to us as people, to be blessed, freedom to be blessed. Do you think if you ask Paul, Paul, do you think you were more blessed than you gave? Do you think it was truly for you true that it's more blessed to give and receive? What do you think Paul would tell you? Well, I can show you at the end of this section that we look. Look how our passage ends. Acts 20, verse 35 is where he says it's more blessed to give than receive. Look how he ends, verse 36. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that he would never see, they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. You see what happens there? Paul tells them all of this, and then when he's done, he kneels down, and, and the people pray, and they begin to weep. Why are they weeping? Because they love this guy so much. Paul, were you blessed by God? Or you'd say, relationally, oh, I've been blessed. Look at these people. They love me. I feel so loved. And Paul's heading off to Jerusalem where he will be arrested and ultimately beheaded. 
But Paul knew he had eternal life. He had blessings that Nero could not take away. And if you ask Paul, was it worth it? Paul would say to you, I have come to the loss of all things. Philippians 3. I've come to the loss of all things for Christ, and I consider it like trash compared to the surpassing joy of knowing him. Paul would say, oh, it's worth it a thousand times over. And so I say to you, on the basis of God's word, Paul's example in Jesus' teaching, it is more blessed to give than receive because you always receive more than you give. Would you just uh, take a moment? I'm going to invite our worship team to come. And would you take a moment and just talk to the Lord about them? Thank him that that's true. Say, Lord, thank you that you've made the world that way. Help me to believe you. Inspire faith in me. Why don't you thank him for this incredible promise and principle that Jesus makes and then ask him, Lord, Lord, help me to live that out. Let's pray. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.